importante, necesitamos la representación y cada voz necesitamos escuchar. Pues la situación ahora es inaceptable. ¿Ah? Es de presidente ha What? atacado, ha demonizado What? los inmigrantes. Es inaceptable y voy a cambiar este. Uh, me llamo Julián Castro y estoy postulando por presidente What? de los Estados Unidos. Chico, que el debate canso mi trasero. Boy, that debate tired my butt out. So I was going to pl- have play a clip of one of the candidates talk about policy, but you know, I really think that Spanish thing might be the headline out of the debate. For a lot of people, I think it was. It sure as heck a headline. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've gone How from... many of us? How many of us? All of us. I'm talking to you folks. When you first heard Beto jump into Spanish, if you heard it, reacted just with, with anger and revulsion. I got nothing against people who speak Spanish or bilingual no, 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 or anything no, like no, that. No. Of course not. Who would? But the, uh, the, the pandering of it. Bilingual the uselessness of it. Bilingual societies is a bad idea. It's a bad idea. It's better to have one language. Unifying language, right. Because language and culture go together to such a great extent. Right. Um, yeah, so I, w- I would love to know the polling on that. What percentage of America, is mostly Democrats, I'm guessing, watching the debate, but what percentage of America goes, oh, God, when he speaks Spanish, and what yeah. percentage of people, and I know people who would have reacted with glee. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yes. I think you're wrong. Yes. Gary Dietrich is a nonpartisan political analyst. Uh, he is uh, the founder of I3, Inspire, Inform, Involve. We'll tell you all about the website. It's very useful. And uh, Gary joins us now. Hello, Gary. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, guys. Good to be with you again, especially after, uh, I don't know, a year and a half out. Probably the most watched <laughs> presidential debate. So we're told, you know, uh, of this magnitude this far out ever. Bueno, muy bueno. Really, you know, hmm, that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, we so were talking. We were talking the other day about how you know you go back through history. Clinton got in in October. JFK got in in January of the year of the election. That's how different things are now. Yeah. We're in July with the debate, and a lot of people watch. Driven mostly by Trump, you think? Well, I certainly think, you know, the, the, the big dividing line is Trump. There's no question about it, guys. I mean, that, that is, you know, either you're for or against, or as you know, there's hardly any in between, and both sides very passionate. But there's actually been polling done on this, guys, in recent weeks, national polls that said, you know, how interested are you in this upcoming debate? Is it really going to make any difference to you, or is this just a waste of time? Believe it or not, over 80% of people said it would have an impact on their vote. Do you think those people uh, got what they wanted? Well, you know, I, I, honestly, I don't know how you guys felt, but I was sort of pleasantly surprised by the amount of, you know, you, you thought it was just going to be a flashcard drill. You know what I mean? Like you went through third grade with your addition thing. Yeah, nobody really, know you didn't know anybody, anybody when it's all over. But I think you got a pretty good flavor, you know, of the differences in these candidates, both their styles and personalities, and even to some degree on some of their policy stuff. So, you know, I, I think it was better than, most people expected tonight, I think, is going to be even more interesting, of course, when we hear Biden and Sanders and so forth on the same stage. But uh, last night, some of these folks that nobody knew anything about clearly got some airtime that they wouldn't have otherwise. All right. Let's uh, why don't we mention a couple of those. Who do you think had a really good night in particular? Well, I, I caught a little bit of you guys uh, talking about Congresswoman Gabbard, and she certainly distinguished herself on the stage, certainly As in terms cute. of military credentials. Well, that too. Okay, and, thank you. And serious anyway, policy ideas. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, when it came to her, I think her military experience, guys, is clearly something she wanted to highlight. She did highlight. 
and did so quite effectively. I mean, when it came to things like uh, Afghanistan and so forth, she clearly stood out on the stage. You know, Elizabeth Warren, uh, I I caught a little bit of you guys just saying she she started this thing unscathed. That is sort of surprising. Remember de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio, went after Beto O'Rourke big time. But nobody took on Elizabeth Warren, which was kind of surprising. You know, uh, there was a moment where, was it um, Amy Klobuchar or one of the moderate Democrats was asked about some of Elizabeth's schemes, um, her pie-in-the-sky, way-left schemes, and and gave kind of a, a soft answer. So, yeah, nobody, nobody was willing to really uh, put a thumb in the eye of the progressive wing. And part of the challenge Except for that maybe guy Tim is... maybe Tim Ryan, but go on, Gary. Right, right. It, part of the challenge of that is if you're, as you guys call it, a one percenter, if you're one of those candidates just kind of hanging on right now, trying to get some traction, you don't want to look like, you know, the, the nemesis of the clear front runner on the stage. So it's a delicate balancing act. And I think we're going to see more of that, as people call it, comparison politics, the attacks, as some would call it, uh, further down the road. This was the classic introduction opportunity last night for many of these people, and some did it well, some did it better than others. Well, you know, in, in terms of them being introduced to me, uh, I know their faces and what they said, but I still don't know a lot of their names because MSNBC didn't put placards on their podiums or put their name. I, somebody would talk, and I'd think, that was a decent point, whoever you were. Yeah, I mean, what <laughs> an idiotic omission. <laughs> Unbelievable. But the bald guy on the right... Uh, pointing out that the Medicare for All just does not work, I thought was interesting on that stage. And then the guy from Ohio, um, he he pointing out that people look at us as a party of the coastal elites, and that's not going to work for us in a general election. I thought I thought those were pretty two pretty bold things to say on that stage. Yeah, and when you and when you really go again and break down the numbers, and and if people that were watching it on NBC would have caught this little thing, uh, if you I was watching it online. So the thing about it is, was they dropped some interesting numbers in during the commercial breaks, and one of them is really something we need to keep in mind, and that is three key states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, won by Trump by a total of 75,000 votes, total, between the three states. And that's why I think, guys, those voices like Klobuchar's and Congressman Ryan's, those from those so-called Rust Belt states, were so important for the Democratic Party to hear last night because those states, we know, are the ones that tip the balance in favor of the president. You know, I despise discussing identity politics. I, I, I feel like I'm giving it respect it doesn't deserve because it's a dangerous, dangerous trend. Uh, but I will say that, you know, if, if they can check some of the boxes, the Democrats, that they like to check, uh, ethnicity, uh, sex, whatever, and have uh, Kamala or Elizabeth or somebody on top of the ticket, Tim Ryan from Ohio would be a hell of a veep choice because he'd probably carry Ohio because he's a pretty moderate guy. But, you know, two things about Tim Ryan um, and and ideology. Number one, uh, Tim Ryan is a coastal elite. It's the coast of Lake Erie, granted, but Ohio's (laughs) on the coast. Uh, Secondly, uh, we were talking a little bit about Trump and and how it's all about Trump and he's the energizing force, but I, I need to point out... There are many, many Republicans, conservatives who who are not thrilled with Donald J and his manner and his verbiage and his, uh, you know, occasional uh, uh, sloppiness with the truth and the rest of it and maybe making gambles diplomatically that might not work out. 
But this country is so wildly ideologically divided. Trump seems like a way better choice than like Elizabeth Warren. You're not going to deliver the country to Elizabeth Warren. We will be France within six months. And that, to me, is the real headline. Well, I think you raise a really important point, Jill, and that is all the hypothetical matchups right now between any of these candidates and the president are just that hypothesis. And when you when the Democrats finally arrived at their candidate last time, we all know who that was. When Hillary Clinton finally was the decided opponent, that's when people start that's when those dividing lines come into full force. I mean, to have a, to have sort of a. You, you sort of started your comes sort of this amalgamation candidate. Well, if we had a little piece of this person and that person, that's one thing. But when you start breaking down, okay, you, it's either the A or B. That's when the dividing lines happen, and that's when the things. Well, Trump's only at forty-two percent. How could he possibly win? Well, that's exactly where he was, and he won last time. Gary Dietrich is a nonpartisan political analyst uh, with I three Inspire and Form involved. Spanish in our national debates has been growing over time. George W. Bush did it. Mitt Romney did it. It's not only Democrats, but that was by far the most Spanish we've ever had in a debate. I understand the pandering aspect that you're trying to signal to Hispanics, hey, I'm down with your causes. But for people who don't speak Spanish, I got to believe that turns off a lot of people. Do you have any idea? Well, I think it's, uh, I tell your comment earlier, Jack, a little bit was, as I was getting to come on here, that, that I think that, too, has become a dividing line, hasn't it? Some people think, wow, that's really great that they're trying to reach out to l- the growing Latino community in the United States. Other people are like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, that we don't, it's not our national language. You know, you know the debate. So I, I think for somebody, honestly, last night, my sense about it was, for Julian Castro, that works, right? I mean, that is a language that he's quite familiar with. That is a language he grew up with. He, he, you know, he's from the Texas area. That language is spoken a lot there. For a lot of the other candidates, it felt stilted. It didn't look authentic. And I think in a debate format in particular, it doesn't work as well. When you can drop it into a, your stump speech in front of a large audience, it's easier to do. I think in that kind of a format, it looked awkward to many of those people. Well, and I think at some point, and we might have been at that point last night, I mean, if you had much more, okay, so the question was in Spanish and half your answer was in Spanish. I honestly would like to know what the question was and what your response was. I have no idea. I mean, it just functionally becomes a problem at well, some it's point. it's off-putting. It's aggressively off-putting. But, you know. Well, one thing to keep in mind, too, guys, is that Telemundo was part of the debate structure. I mean, many people may not know that. It was NBC and all their affiliate uh, networks, and Telemundo was part of that. And so one of the moderators was from Telemundo. And so I, I think that was an attempt to draw it, even from a network perspective, to draw in that audience. Hey, by the way, we can't, we can't leave without saying every person like myself who's ever done television has their worst absolute nightmare that your mic is going to be left on when you leave oh. that. Mm-hmm. Shot. Oh, yeah, we need and, to play that clip. Yeah, we've in the got next the whole segment. thing. It was a huge, the biggest technical problems I've ever seen in a, in a big at show. At like a network this. level, I, I've seen this guys in local news fairly frequently, but at a network level on that stage, to not have the monkey flipping the switch in the booth, you know what I mean? <laughs> was, was just. Well, and Chuck Todd why? had to ask for like five times could you turn off the mics of the former, uh, could you turn their mics off? I'll give you a moment. They're still I on. Could you turn off the mics? <laughs> Just, yeah, what was exactly, going on Jack, there? Jack, that's exactly it. I'm thinking to myself, has everybody in this nationally televised debate booth just gone out for a Coke? I mean, <laughs> where, where, you know, right. what, what is going on? He, he called for it. He called for it again. Then he finally has to go to break during a nationally televised debate. 
says they can flip the switch. I and it, it interrupted his question, probably the, the maybe the touchiest question of the night about the kids being gunned down in school and what do you do about that? Right. And, and he had to repeat it like five times to it to, to the point that it just no longer had any meaning. To the sounds of people <laughs> urinating or hitting the buffet or whatever that was. Uh, so, Gary, Gary, speaking of uh, broadcast nightmares, I want you to know that uh, Michelangelo, our, our, our board operator, our, our brain in there, he visibly recoiled when you used the term the monkey in the booth. And uh, and you ought to be glad. What's your ethnicity, Michael? Your family ethnicity? Uh, Hispanic. You're a white guy, obviously. But so you're from Hispanic heritage. Have your people ever been compared unfavorably to monkeys? Because if they have, then Gary Dietrich's career is over. Oh, uh, goodness gracious. No, apparently hey, not. I'm Gary, you're about- in the clear. <laughs> you're in the clear, Gary. About- no worries. What? Oh, thank you a lot, Michelangelo. We, fortunately, Michelangelo and I are longtime friends. We're okay. Here's the thing. I was talking about the proverbial, I mean, there's this joke that rolls around circles like NASA, you know, when something goes wrong. It's like, hey, we can suit up monkeys and get them to space. Have them flip the switch. They seem like they're going to do a better job than the humans. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that is great. Gary, how can people uh, learn more about I3, your organization? Yeah, we, as many people will know us from the past as Citizen Voice. We rebranded here in 2019, which we're excited to do, I3, Inspire, Inform, Evolve. You can just Google that. We're going to be doing all the same stuff we've done in the past, protecting the vulnerable with safely out during disasters. We'll do certainly our election stuff coming up next year. We're looking forward to a great uh, year or two ahead. Guys. I'm not even going to give you 10 seconds, but the Supreme Court says federal courts have no role policing gerrymandering. Happy about that or not? Happy about that or not? Uh, well, gerrymandering continues to be a huge political problem. Watch for that next year to be a major issue in the Senate and congressional campaigns. Wow, yeah, the states draw their own districts, so it's still a state issue according to the soups. That is big news. Yeah. Gary Dietrich, thanks a million, Gary. Talk to you guys soon. We'll bye talk bye. to you soon, brother. we got to take a break, but more on that and other stuff in a minute. Text line 415-295-KFTC. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place. Even your emotions have an echo and so much space. Supreme Court ruling is in. And uh, I just remember, like, in fifth grade being taught that gerrymandering is wrong. Right. So that's just what's stuck in my head over the years. That's... Well, what is it? Joe will tell us what it is. Oh, it's rearranging uh, congressional districts to get a result you want. Right. So a five to four decision says the essentially the federal courts have no role in this. There is no plausible grant of authority in the Constitution and no legal standards to limit and direct their decisions. John Roberts, the chief justice, said gerrymandering by states is wrong. It's undemocratic. But it's not our job to do anything about that. Right. And there's there's a greater philosophical question at play here, which I would love to uh, delve into, uh, perhaps during Marshall's News next segment. Um, and it's an important one, too. I mean, it's one of those fundamental things. But so fundamentals last, later. So last night, uh, one of Donald Trump's tweets during the debate was... Uh, NBC News and MSNBC should be ashamed of themselves for having such a horrible technical breakdown in the middle of the debate. Truly unprofessional and only worthy of a fake news organization. Fake news! He's talking about this. So Chuck Todd had turned toward the super serious, wanting to get into the school shooting stuff. And uh, here's how it went. 
and where there has been significant activism on gun violence ever since. Many of you are calling for a restoration of an assault weapons ban, but even if implemented, there will still be hundreds of millions of guns in this country. Should there be a role for the federal government? Your other mics are on. Uh, everybody's mics are on. I, I think we have a, I heard that too, that's okay. I think we had a little mic issue in the back. Control room, we've got contrary We have the, I think audio. we heard, yeah, we have the audience audio. Someone's got my binder. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? We are hearing our colleagues' audio. I, if the control room could turn off the mics. Yeah, if the, if the control room could turn off the mics of our previous moderators, we will. I think it's the prior moderators. You know, we prepared for yes. everything. Guess what, guys? We are going to take a quick break. We're going to get this technical uh, situation fixed. We will be right back. It's a great coincidence that Sleepy Eyes Chuck Todd was awake when that happened. And he tried to go to Elizabeth Warren with the question. She obviously couldn't hear him at all. Right. Just smiling and staring like, I don't know what's going on. What What am I supposed to do here? Because I can't hear anything. Delaney's full on the guy watching his friend fix the car. You got to tighten it more. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's coming up in your news, Marshall? The Supreme Court wrapping up this session with a major decision that just came down a few minutes ago. We've got one of the Democratic uh, candidates for president standing out from the rest of the pack. And another story about sitting being the new smoking. Yes. Armstrong and Getty. Oh, boy. So I haven't seen ratings on the debate. Uh, can anybody dig that up? Gary was saying it was the biggest early season debate audience ever, which I don't suppose would surprise me because we're obsessed with the presidency. But uh, we, yep. we better get to the news with breaking news right now with Marshall Phillips. Indeed, the U.S. Supreme Court has just ruled on a key case involving partisan gerrymandering, which is the political process of drawing up congressional districts. In a North Carolina case, the justices said they cannot decide an issue that is up to state legislatures. The ruling was five to four. Those challenging gerrymandering, arguing that some states violate the Constitution by going too far in drawing up their congressional boundaries based on partisan interests. Now, the Chief Justice, John Roberts, writing for the majority, said the drafters of the Constitution understood that politics would play a role in drawing election districts when they gave the task to state legislatures. Judges, the Chief Justice said, are not entitled to second-guess lawmakers' judgments. Here's your great overarching philosophical observation. And it's funny, I fell in love with this quote by a German uh, journalist a while back. He was saying to an American, you Americans think you can solve everything. And that's one of the dividing lines, I think, between those of us of a more libertarian bent and particularly progressives. Progressives believe that if there is a problem, we must solve it, and we must give them the power to solve it. What the Supreme Court is saying here is a very adult thing, a very difficult thing, I think, for them to say. They say, yeah, there's a problem. Yeah, it's rotten. But we have no constitutional power to do anything about it. So we're not. We're not going to write a new, we're not going to scratch a little note at the corner of the Constitution that says, you know, the uh, federal judges can mess with the states, even though they're granted exclusive power to set their own districts. They're saying we'd like to, but we can't. 
That last little statement, though, was interesting about it. it what did you say? The very last part there? Not the job of the judge. The federal Ju- judges have no Can you go ahead with that again? Yeah, yeah, judges are not entitled to second-guess lawmakers' judgments. I'm not sure how everybody would feel about that because it was, uh, well, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. One of your famous judges I'd remember if I weren't sick, who said if the American people want to go to he- go to hell, vote to go to hell, I'll help send them there. And a lot of people on, tend to be on my side to disagree with that, that no, that ju- the, the, the judiciary is there to, to, to take care with some of those situations if they're unconstitutional or whatever. Right. To step in and not just let the majority do whatever the hell they want. I absolutely agree. Unless... So that's an interesting statement at the end of this, just kind of as a blanket statement. Well, yeah, but but he just means in this situation... Where I hope. The, the Constitution explicitly states who has the power to make the districts and decide whether they're fair. I mean, it's explicit. I hope he just means in this case. Well, the... Uh, and that isn't just his overarching philosophy. Oh, I... No. Whatever a state legislation no. votes for, it's not our job to overturn that. No, no, no. There's no way that's true. Especially of Roberts. I mean, God, he's barely a conservative. It's a tax. <laughs> Um, so, uh, the, uh, the quote from Elena Kagan, I thought, was actually pretty good. She said, for the first time ever, this court refuses to remedy a constitutional violation because it thinks the task beyond judicial capabilities. What? Another 5-4 decision. One judge the other way. Mm-hmm. Do we know what the breakdown is on, on who voted which yeah, way yet? We should look it's into that. It's the obvious. Okay, um, along the party those, lines. For, for us... Veteran court watchers. Yeah, no, but there were no intriguing Gorsuch switched sides. Yeah, because there's been a couple one. of those in the last several decisions. There were five four, but there was yeah. a there was a switcheroo somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. you know what? And this is worth uh, mentioning now. And and God, the news is so busy these days. We haven't even gotten to this really. But there have been major cases in the last several weeks where Roberts sided with the the liberals. Yeah. Where Gorsuch sided with the liberals. Yep. And we're old, uh, what's his name? The uh, the alleged uh, Kavanaugh. 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 Yeah. Switch sides. Yeah. So next time somebody's trying to portray one uh, uh, justice or another as Satan personified, as, as a guy who's going to gallop in, in a, on a black horse with a machete and chop off the heads of your children and or deny you all your constitutional rights, just keep that in mind. What do you think of this, Clarence Thomas? Mm-hmm. <laughs> First round. Nothing to, to say. <laughs> First round of the Democratic debates featuring some sharp attacks on inequality in President Trump's administration with health care and immigration, the top issues. Of the 10 Democrats, many pushed ever-increasing liberal stands on a range of those issues. But one of the candidates, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, did have a warning for his party. We have a perception problem with the Democratic Party. We are not connecting to the working class people in the very states that I represent in Ohio, in the industrial Midwest. We've lost all connection that we have got to change the center of gravity of the Democratic Party from being coastal and elitist and Ivy League, which is the perception, to somebody from the forgotten communities that have been left behind for the last 30 years to get those workers back on our side. If the Democratic Party listened to Tim Ryan, they might never lose another election. I thought that was an interesting point he made. That is the battle in the Democratic Party, and uh, it got pretty good applause, too. I went back and listened to it again. It got pretty good applause in that crowd. We're coastal and seen as Ivy League. Yeah, by a lot of people that have no interest in either one of those things. I'm telling you. And those people voted for Trump. Republican strategists and heavyweights were hearing that saying, no, oh God, no, no. 
cut off his microphone. Turn him off. Because that's dangerous to the Republican Party. Dangerous. So that was Tim Ryan, the guy who looks like your high school girlfriend's dad. Not Jay Inslee, who looked like your high school football coach. And those are dead-on, perfect descriptions. And John Delaney, who looks like your uncle who's given up on life? (laughs) That's why I was going to go high school woodshop teacher. Okay, good. (laughs) Fine. Let's not quibble. (laughs) New study. Looks like he's given up on life. New study from the American Heart Association found Americans who spend more than four hours a day watching TV have got a 50% higher risk of developing heart disease or dying an early death compared to people who watch for less than two hours. The difference between sitting on the couch, vegging out, and say sitting at your desk as you work is that people tend to eat big meals or lots of bad snacks while watching TV. Mm. That could be. There's all, but there'd be all kinds of life package. There'd be all kinds of lifestyle things go with those different lifestyles. Spending four hours a day watching uh, binge watching TV. Yeah, I would. You think probably so. have all kinds of exercise and health decisions that that tend to go with that. That lead to not being healthy. Here's here's a tip for you. Have one wet paper towel and one dry one next to you. Use the wet one to get the Cheeto dust off your fingertips. <laughs> And the dry one to dry your fingers. So you don't have wet fingers. And so you don't have to get up. Because if you have wet fingers and you reach into the bag of Cheetos, you just get even more Cheeto dust on them. <laughs> and you certainly don't have to get up. Well, no. Good Lord, no. I'm here for the night. <laughs> I had a roommate. He was a heavy dope smaker, smoker. I had a roommate yeah. briefly um, who, uh, who would, I forget what he called it, but he'd get in this corner of his big couch and he would be there for like eight hours at a time. <laughs> he'd have all of his stuff that he needed. His big giant Mountain Dew, his bags of chips, the remote control. He just was not leaving that spot his for a very bucket. long time. Did he have a pee bucket? I mean, because I, I he just didn't get up and go. go. He wow. just didn't go for some wow. reason. By the way, Such by discipline. the way, can we get out the breaking news donkey, please? Oh, breaking, no. news, breaking news! Breaking news! Breaking news! Betty White? No! Oh, jeez. What's the matter with you? The Supreme Court blocks the citizenship question on the 2020 oh, census what? for now. For just, now? Just came across. What do you mean for now? They say the administration rules for all time. They say the administration's explanation is insufficient. That's all I got on it, but it just came down. Supreme Court says Trump administration didn't give adequate explanation yep. for adding census citizenship yep. questions. So they're like, they want more info. Is that what they're saying? We'll come back in October yep. and talk about it again. No. Get back to me. No, Brandon, the explanation was insufficient. You did great. <laughs> yeah. wow. You did great. Yeah. Brandon, the breaking news dog, yes. is very sensitive. Yeah, have, have a carrot. <laughs> he does enjoy oh, his carrots. Boy. He is a snacker. Okay, so that was uh, that was a punt. So he had one ruling and a punt today. Yeah. All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, that conscience of the nation. How do you need adequate explanation for asking how many people are here? Oh, and, and are you a citizen or not? Look, I, I'm looking forward to actually reading the decision and the, the dissents or whatever, and I actually will. But if, if, if somebody decided, some dark, shadowy figure in the Trump administration decided, we shall ask the people, do you prefer goldfish? or more colorful fish. And we're going to do that because I'm a racist and I hate black people and I want to bring back slavery. What the hell does the difference mean? What that what matter what that reasoning was? If the question is reasonable, it's a reasonable question. I don't care if Voldemort or Darth Vader or or, or whomever came up with it. I don't I don't get that. 
Uh, what I'll was, have to read it, I guess. Yeah, what was the breakdown? Five, four, six, three. Nobody knows. Nine, nothing. We'll, Whatever. Uh, <laughs> nobody knows. It's an unknown. Hang on a second. I'm jumping so, we'll, we'll over to this blog. Right. Joe, Joe almost Go went there. to law school, so yeah. he'll dig into the reasoning on and this. I've read several books. <laughs> Among other things, <laughs> we've got coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Getty Show. A couple of Supreme Court rulings that came down to, uh, just in the last hour, and this is the last of them, I think, and then they uh, go uh, go on their cruises and play, play golf, sunbathe. Sunbathe. They're all 90. Yeah. The Supreme Court with their big rulings. Joe, what's the Do shots of tequila on the beach, then do like a talent contest for the rest of the drunks? Uh, here's, like many Supreme Court rulings, here's another one that is mixed and uh, more subtle than it would seem. Uh, the question before us is, can the Trump administration put on the census a question asking, are you a citizen or ain't you? Um, and uh, progressive types are claiming that, well, that'll suppress the su- Hispanic response, which is, to me, just dumb. It's just a dumb argument, and it's so easily countered, but I won't get off on that. Um, long story short from what I understand is that it's an, it's an administrative law ruling. The court is saying the commerce department could do this if it gave a better or truer explanation of why it was doing it. The commerce department has to have a, a decision process to give to the court, not just their court brief. They just didn't handle it right. Uh, one commentator on SCOTUS blog, who is well-respected, said, uh, in rulings that favor the government, the court holds the enumeration clause permits a citizenship question. The secretary's decision is reviewable. Adding the citizenship question was supported by substantial evidence. Adding the question did not violate the two provisions of the Census Act that the state of New York cited, but they just didn't do it right. So try again. Okay. Yeah, and and we'll get further clarification on this. But so states can gerrymander. The court decided that today, and they uh, well, they, no, Jack, no, no, no. They said we can't do anything about it. Well, they're going to keep doing it, or will they? They will, or will they? Um, and uh, so this one uh, they punted back down, and I guess we'll re uh, check back in on this in October. Excellent. By the way, yes, yes, I am a citizen. Thank you for asking. Because <laughs> the census is during 2020, so we've got a little time to work this out. At one point, uh, I became aware that I could apply for dual citizenship since I was born in Italy while my dad was in the service. And I thought that sounded very exotic and worldly, and I mentioned that to my dad. He said, well, you realize that if you're ever in Italy, they could draft you into the Italian army. <laughs> I'm like, what? Wait, what? That'd be uncool. Never but Just on vacation? Well, yeah. Well, I, and listen, what do I know about Italian draft law? Why am I in Ghana fighting at, a war for the Italians? Uh, <laughs> How did this happen? Why are you at war with France <laughs> anyway? <laughs> shut up and follow orders, they'd shout at me in Italian, which I don't speak. Which would be similar to last night's debate, in which people were shouting at me in Spanish. Which we don't speak. Which, and so I had no idea what they're talking about. I love your point, man, about how useless that is. How utterly 
useless it is and how it is purely pandering. Well, it has to be. There's no practical reason for it. That's why I've always hated it on Sesame Street. The kids who don't speak English aren't watching because there's like two Spanish phrases per show. Right. The kids that don't speak Spanish or English speaking, they don't get anything out of it. It's so wasted who, who's on them. it for? Bilingual people could hear either yeah, one. Yeah, and so, be fine. So they'll be fine hearing it in English. So it is literally for no one. It is just virtue signaling. Right, and there was a lot of that in debate last night, much more than there's ever been in the past. I mean, there was a full question in Spanish from the Telemundo guy, and then half the answer was in Spanish. I have no idea what the question was and what the person said. Yeah. Uh, how well, much with more any luck, that? Jack, we can become like Quebec, which is constantly at war with itself because two languages are spoken. Anyway, um, the ratings are in for the debate. About 10 million people watched on NBC alone. And they don't know yet who, how many people watched on MSNBC and Telemundo, though, although those numbers will come out later. But that's a that's a pretty good crowd when you've got two nights of this. Yeah. So some some context. The the previous night, same time slot, uh, got a, about the same for America's Got Talent. Got about a seven share, about ten million viewers. Um, the first Republican primary debate back in 2015 drew 24 million viewers to Fox News, but that was, of course, Donald Trump's uh, announcement onto the stage had a, had, yeah. had a, a bit more draw on that. Nonetheless, but, two and a half times as many. I mean, well, well, there are two debates. I wonder how the one tonight will do. The more heavyweights, allegedly. No tonight. doubt. The first yeah. Democratic primary in uh, October 2015 was about 15.8 million total um, adding in MSNBC and Telemundo, I would guess somewhere between like 30 to 40% additional viewers on that. So kind of in the same range, maybe about a million off. Yeah, okay. Uh, I tell you, my headline from last night is the bulk of the Democratic Party is swung so far left, it's unrecognizable as uh, the party of a, uh, a democracy or a, a republic that prizes uh, individual freedom. I mean, they've gone way, 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 way left. It's way left of the party that Joe Biden has been uh, at the center of right. for decades. My sub headline. Some of you are really happy about that. Yeah, my sub headline is though that uh, reasonable policies that actually have a ghost of a chance of working are not dead. Um, there were a number of Democrats on the stage last night who were thoroughly reasonable and pointed out, "Hey, some of these schemes, free everything and Medicare for all, they can't work. The math doesn't work." You would kill the economy. I mean, they weren't quite that concise, but they were expressing that notion. And I'm glad there are at least some who had the balls to to stand up against the loud, self-righteous, always angry progressive wing of the party and then speak the truth. I was watching Howard Kurtz on Fox. He's their their media guy. And he said the lack of follow-ups is a uh, um, uh, from the moderators is a, is a strategy. I mean, sometimes you think... It's a good idea because you end up debating the candidates as a right. moderator. Right. And, and a lot of people hate that. They don't tune in to hear the moderator debate the candidate. They Candy want the candidates. Crowley infinite, infamously arguing with Mitt and being wrong. They want the candidates <laughs> to debate each other. So it's a strategy, and it's, it's it'd be really difficult to do and please everybody. But, for instance, they could have followed up, and I wish I had the names of all these people. It speaks to where we are with this whole process that there's so many on stage. Mm. They haven't distinguished himself enough that I know who's who. The bald guy Descri- with the buggy eyes. That's uh, John Delaney, right? John- looks like your uncle who gave up on life. John Delaney is the one who came out and said, look, this Medicare for all talk, we're going to lose with that talk. It doesn't work. Hospitals will go broke. I wish some moderators would have jumped in and let him really debate any of the other G7 that raised their hand and were for Medicare for all and eliminating private insurance. I wish they could have really gotten into that. There was no follow-up. And the other one Howard Kurtz pointed out, which I, I think would have been good, though uncomfortable, 
everybody was so pro-abortion, this and that, and oh. cheering, and this and that. How about late-term abortion? At what, what point do you cut it out? Only, only about 5% of Americans, including Democrats, think abortion's okay in the third trimester. Where are you in this? Yeah. They nailed that down, and they did not. I tell you what, they're going to go with infanticide now. How long, how old a kid can you kill if you find that kid inconvenient? I mean, you're going to have somebody who'll propose two days, then somebody will go to a week, and before you know it, you'll have kindergartners being snuffed by Democratic candidates. Look forward to that. Uh, Craig, the healthcare guru, pointed out that Cory Booker issued the most egregious and obvious lie about healthcare, and we had just talked about this on the show with Craig earlier. The nefarious statistic about the efficiency of Medicare, um, how their margins or their administrative costs are only 2%. Every single one of the Medicare proponents fails to acknowledge how there's, uh, what did he say, 30 to some believe 40% waste, fraud, and abuse within the government system. The reason their overhead is so low is they spend no time or energy preventing waste, fraud, and abuse. So it squanders hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars over and over again. And if it applied to everybody, that number would just grow. Medicare efficient. That's that's a horrible lie by one Cory Booker. Tonight, you're going to have Biden and Bernie side by side, two completely different views of what the party ought to be, what the country ought to be, I think. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see if they actually, you know, get into it at all on these issues. Yeah. A couple of old men fighting to the death. <laughs> Might be soon. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty.